This is the ICO Alert Podcast, Episode 21. Robert Finch, founder of ICO Alert. ICO Alert maintains the only comprehensive list of every single initial coin offering that includes all of the active ICOs that are happening now, as well as all of the upcoming ICOs. You can check out the full list on our website at icoalert.com. On the show today is Lior Yaffe, the co-founder and managing director of Gelarita, better known as the developer for blockchain platforms NXT and Ardor. During the show, we'll discuss the upcoming Ignis and Ardor launches, what makes Ardor different from other blockchain platforms like Ethereum, Rise, Lisk, and EOS, what will happen to NXT after Ardor launches, and more. Without further ado, let's get to it. Lior, thanks so much for joining me today. Thank you. Thank you, Robert. Yeah, it's great to have you. Um, First, before we start out, let's talk a little bit about you. Um, you know, I introduced you with a couple different titles. What are, are you working on at this moment? So right now, I'm, uh, first of all, I'm a developer for the blockchain pro- protocols of NXT. Um, I'm working on NXT for, uh, for, for almost three years now. Wow. Um, and now our main focus is on developing the next generation blockchain, uh, called, which we call Ardor, and which we are about to release at the end of the month. So, the, so this is a very busy deadline. Um, in addition, uh, you know, I'm kind of um, the, the, the face of Gelorida, which is a company that uh, owns the intellectual property for NXT and Ardor. Um, so I also, uh, you know, I maintain a Medium blog with uh, some information that, that we share, trying to write a little bit about blockchain technology and, um, and so on. Yep. Very cool. So that's, is that what Gelarita is in its entirety? It's, it's essentially just the, the parent company that, that owns all the copyright for NXT and Ardor, or is it also something else? Gelorida is a company established by the developers of NXT. Um, uh, okay. The, uh, NXT started as an um, a open source project that anybody could join and everybody could, anybody could contribute. Uh, but at some point, we reached conclusions that we can only get so far with, with this type of arrangement and that we need to set up a for-profit company and try to use it, utilize this wonderful technology to, um, to, to, to actually sell and uh, monetize the development of, uh, of, the, of our blockchain. Interesting. So... Is it correct that Ardor is kind of replacing NXT, or are they both going to still exist, you know, alongside each other? Both Ardor and NXT will continue to run in parallel. Um, you can think about Ardor as the next generation of NXT. Um, like every, you know, every software company out there always sells one project and works on the next generation of, of its uh, technology. So mm-hmm. NXT is our bread and butter uh, product that is already running in production for four years, stable with many features and use cases. 
Ardor is about the next generation. It's about solving some key problems with the, in the blockchain ecosystem uh, today. Okay, interesting. And and before we talk about those key problems, um, you know, people obviously recognize your name. You're a pretty big big face in the in the blockchain space, and they'll also recognize your coin names. I'm sure with NXT and Ardor, both at respectively mm-hmm. number 27 and 28 on Coin Market Cap. Um, NXT with about $650 million market cap and Ardor almost at $600 million. Um, so these are obviously huge projects. What, for those, you know, for the people who may be new to the blockchain space and haven't really heard of NXT or what it does, what are the main use cases for NXT as a, a blockchain platform? Okay, so so NXT is a, is an infrastructure uh, pr- a product for building decentralized applications. We provide the basic building blocks in the form of uh, messages between accounts, setting up account properties, ability to um, to store data uh, like files in the blockchain, um, name registry, and so on. On top of that, we provide the most common uh, what is called now smart contracts, like asset exchange, um, different type of uh, tokens that we call the monetary system, a voting system, a anonymity, marketplace. All this is available out of the box with fully functional APIs. And uh, every feature also has a fully implemented UI, which is uh, provided together with a wallet that uh, that comes with the product. That's awesome, and I, I have taken a look at the wallet. It is, you know, incredibly. At, at first glance, it's incredibly complex, but then when you look <laughs> at it, you realize, oh wow, like these are a lot of really great features just built into this wallet that, that you can use, from voting on polls to you know making your own token, whatever it may be. Um, do you have, you know, before we move on to Ardor, do you have some interesting examples of some projects that maybe have been built on top of NXT or, or somebody that's used some of these use cases? We have uh, quite a few use cases. Um, the, of course, there is the use cases of uh, sending messages, proof of existence, um, notarization. Um, so we have some applications built on NXT in this area. Um, lots, of, like in every other uh, blockchain, I think the, the killer application today of blockchains is uh, crowdfunding. So there were many crowdfunding already conducted on, on uh, NXT, even before uh, Ethereum even existed. So uh, wow. projects like uh, NEM and uh, Siacoin actually, uh, actually raised their first uh, funding using NXT. Really? NEM and Cycoin, that's crazy. Yes, yes, yes. Um, But but because, you know, because it was an open source uh, product and there was almost no marketing, uh, it it, it became kind of a product for people that really know the industry. And and, and we were somewhat eclipsed by other projects which had more marketing, more money for marketing and and better visibility in terms of uh, uh, personalities behind the product. And, and so on. Uh, okay, interesting. So with NXT, you know, being relatively successful, like you said, within the, the crypto community itself, but not so much in the mainstream, um, what is Ardor doing to fix that or improve upon NXT? How is it different? Okay, so, so Ardor is about uh, two main problems in the blockchain arena today. 
One problem is that every transaction that ever submitted to the blockchain would have to stay in the blockchain forever so that every new node that needs to download the blockchain has to revalidate all the transactions from the Genesis block. Um, and of course, this is not sustainable. And you see it with today's blockchains, with Bitcoin, with Ethereum, that they grow to huge sizes even before they even implemented the scalability. I mean, yeah. I, 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 I mean people are talking about thousands of transactions per second, but even today with 10 transactions per second, the blockchain is already becoming huge and unmaintainable. And yeah, you, I think you it's need to start 300 a, gigabytes now or something like that for Ethereum. Wow. Okay. I, I, yeah, I'm not massive. following that closely, but it's uh, quite a lot. Yeah. I, I mean, I mean and, think, and think about it that it's not really with a blockchain. You cannot just download the blockchain as a file, which could be uh, understandable, but you have to revalidate all the transactions or otherwise you're, you maybe uh, end up on uh, some malicious fork that will be used to steal your phones. So, so the process of downloading uh, the blockchain from scratch is, uh, is very problematic with the existing blockchains, also with NXT. Uh, what Ardor does to solve it is that, um, you know, NXT is based on proof of stake. Um, so your chance to generate the next block does not depend on some solving some mathematical problem like in proof of work, but instead it depends on the, your stake in the network. The higher your bal your NXT balance is, the bigger your chance to generate the next block. So Ardor is built on the same on the same technique, the, on the same proof of stake technique, but it takes it a, a step fur uh, further. It separates the blockchain architecture into parent-child chain application, uh, architecture so that transactions, um, only transactions that affect the balances of the block generators are stored forever on the parent chain. But all the other transactions, all the smart contracts, call it the asset exchange, the messages, the voting, all these operational transactions are offloaded to child chains. Um, and the good thing about it is that this allows us to prune these transactions from the blockchain after 24 hours. I mean, when a transaction is uh, is already buried deep enough in the blockchain so that there, there can be no reorg that will uh, make it invalid, then we can remove it from the blockchain and just keep a cryptographic proof that it ever existed. Wow, that's fascinating. So essentially, what what's the type of data living on Ardor? Is it really only the balances of those block generators or and everything else has moved on to child change? Is, is that correct? Right, so transactions on Ardor are limited to sending Ardor between transactions, sorry, between accounts, uh, exchanging Ardor with other child chain tokens, because each child chain comes with its own token, and transactions that we call child chain block that represent where a single transaction on the parent chain represents multiple transactions on the child chain. Okay, so so this uh, okay. is the, the the proof of existence that we talked about. 
Yeah, that's awesome. For people that are listening that, you know, this is their first time hearing about a parent <laughs> chain and a child chain, um, how, how could you explain it to them in, in you know, a, a relatively easy to understand way? Is the, is the child chain kind of inheriting all of the attributes of the parent chain or am I getting that wrong? No, not exactly. You can think about child chain like another copy of the NXT blockchain with all the features, but duplicated with its own token. So okay. you can have parent chain is only about securing the network, very limited in what you can do with it. Child chain has all the functionality of NXT plus more functionality we added recently and has its own token that, uh, but it still relies on the on the uh, on the full network. So you so you get a blockchain fully functional with all the NXT functionality, but you don't need to set up your own network. You get the network that is used for the security, the security uh, basically for maintaining the hardware chain. Um, Let's look at it uh, differently. And current blockchains today are kind of a jack of all trades. The ICOs, the researchers, the messages, CryptoKitty, all goes into the same blockchain, okay? And, <laughs> and if you are interested in voting, you still need to, uh, to uh, very validate the transactions of the ICOs and of CryptoKitty and everything else, okay? And it's all layered into the same ledger. In uh, our child chain architecture allows for a separation of concerns. So you can run CryptoKitty in one child chain, voting in another child chain, and ICO in another child chain. So in, initially, still every workstation will need to process every transaction. But um, in a future version, we will also uh, allow for specialization which means I'm interested in voting, so I don't need to validate the transactions of the CryptoKitty uh, child chain, okay? Right. <laughs> so. now, that's, a, that's a great example. We had uh, CryptoKitties on the podcast uh, in our last episode, so it'll be a, a perfect tie-in. That's fantastic. Um, but yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So uh, essentially every single app that's built on top of Ardor could, could have its own child chain. Is that correct? Exactly, yep. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. And obviously, I mean, is that also an attempt to solve the scalability issue of the current space? So if people aren't familiar, um, Lior, you mentioned this a little earlier, you know, Bitcoin has about three transactions per second, Ethereum up to 30, but that's really being generous. It's really about um, 15 to 20. Um, is this child chain structure with the parent chain of Ardor going to solve these scalability issues? It's in the attempt which is which works a little bit different than than what other projects claim because you have projects that tells you yeah we can do 100,000 transactions per second they just don't tell you that these transactions won't be on the blockchain they will be somewhere else but <laughs> but we want to work with the blockchain okay uh, a, a public blockchain because of things that we can't do much about like the speed of light for example <laughs> which from which the speed of the internet is inherited will i would say will never scale to more than the 1000 transactions per second and i'm very generous here i i, I would say that 
uh, sustainable 100 transactions per second is pretty much what you'll be able to do with a blockchain, okay? Um, and if you think about uh, Doug or the uh, Tangle, I, I bet it won't scale much better, if at all. So the so and, and people are always talking about how the Visa network scales to thousands of transactions per second, but if you really dive into it, there is no global Visa uh, Visa network. Okay, what people mean is that uh, thousands of credit cards are swiped every seconds around the world. But not, but it's not all processed by the same network. So the idea with Ardor is the same. So we want to each child chain by its own. I I don't think will work at more than 100 uh, transactions per second, which is still a lot and, and enough for most applications. But but not but because not every workstation has to process it every transaction on a child chain. In fact, uh, I, I would, uh, I predict that in, in the future, most workstations will only, uh, will only process one child chain specific to their use case and the parent chain for the security, so, so that you can, you, you can have some kind of uh, subnets that uh, one subnet that will only process the transactions for the voting, one for the transactions of the ICO, which could be different subnet, uh, one for CryptoKitty and so on. And, so on. Yeah. Uh, and this way you will be able to achieve 100 transactions per second on each such, uh, such subnet, but the throughput of the whole system will be much bigger. Okay, like like with Visa, that Visa New Zealand does not process transactions for, of Visa Israel. Okay, right, yeah, it doesn't no, that make makes any a lot sense. of sense. Um, but but still, you, but still, thousands of credit cards are swiped around the world, and somehow the transaction settlements uh, work so that you cannot uh, exceed your uh, your your credit card uh, balance. So right. So, so that's the vision of Ardor. I mean, it, it's not going to be ready on the first release. It will take us uh, some time to implement it. But at the end of the roadmap, I see this layer of subnets specializing in child chain where all, all of them reporting back to the parent chain. Very cool. I think that's a, a great analogy, especially, you know, comparing it to Visa, which is something that a lot of people compare all blockchains to in the space. You know, oh, Visa can process 150,000 <laughs> transactions per second. That should be our target. Um, I do think it's interesting, though. Why do you think that, that blockchains will ever be capped at 100,000 transactions per second? Is no, that like no, a technical no, limitation? No, or? Much less. No, I, I, I said that once, even 1,000 transactions per second is, is going to be a lot... No. Oh wow! So you don't think they're going to go above a thousand? I don't think so, and I'll explain why. Because one, the speed of light is finite, and there, there is no uh, Moore's law that will double the speed of light. Okay, like like it doubles the computer computing power every uh, eighteen months or, or or something like this. So so and, and the problem is that. When you work uh, a global network, you start to be affected by this because um, 
to send transaction from the US to China, 20,000 kilometers, it's, it's already 0.06 seconds, so 60 milliseconds. Uh, but, but of course, you know, when you have a, net, a very distributed network with thousands of nodes, the, the propagation time of transactions is, is much larger. Let's say one second, all right? Right. Or, and then, uh, you know, with a blockchain, every node needs to process all the transactions and reach the same uh, conclusion about the order of transactions, um, more about the order of blocks. And when... Um, when the um, when the throughput of transactions and blocks, which are transactions containers, becomes more than the ability than the speed of the that the transactions can propagate through the network, then you'll you'll get a blockchain that will never reach a consensus about its state, because. Uh, there will be branches that becomes longer and longer and never get to merge because they they will grow faster than they can merge. Interesting, and it's it's really interesting timing. Just just this weekend, I was watching a video um, by I believe Dan Larimer, who's running you know Steemit and and the upcoming EOS project and things like that. And he was actually talking about this exact problem with speed of light, but. Yeah rather than coming to the same conclusion, he said that they, they actually found a way to get around it. And it sounds crazy at first, like, oh, you can't get around the speed of light. That's, you know, a law of the universe. <laughs> um, but I guess the way that they're doing it, and, and I could be wrong in the way that I'm conveying this here, but um, let's say you have, you know, one node in New York, and then you have one node in the middle of the US and one node in LA, and then, you know, another node over in Japan, it would kind of relay them in an order. So it would relay from um, New York to the middle of the country, middle country to California, and essentially make that distance that the transaction has to jump much shorter. Now, I'm not sure how you know it works with total blockchain propagation, but in some way they were able to essentially make it so that block times could confirm in 500 milliseconds, which I thought was pretty crazy. Look, when you start to do these type of tricks, you lose the decentralization of the network because it's enough that one node in the middle... Um, you know, decides to do something malicious or on purpose uh, withhold transactions or something like this, then it slows down the whole thing to a crawl. Um, so there will be, uh, I agree that there will be solutions that sacrifice some decentralization in order to achieve better throughput. Right. But, but when you're talking about classic public blockchain where everyone that wants need to uh, can can set up a node and validate the transactions and this is essentially this is all about <laughs> blockchain okay i mean if if you decide in advance who validates the transactions then just set up a database okay um if you want a really decentralized public blockchain that is not controlled by anyone, and anyone can set up a, a workstation without any permission from anyone else. Then you uh, then you need to sacrifice uh, in the throughput and scalability. Right. I mean, I mean that, that's that's a trade-off. Yeah, um, definitely. And it seems like the main difference, you know, with NXT and Ardor being proof of stake, and then some of the other products we're referencing being delegated proof of stake. I think yeah. those are probably the main differences where, you know, proof of stake is a little more decentralized, but delegated proof of stake makes some some trade-offs to get scalability. 
Um, but that's great. I really appreciate the insight there. It's, I'm, it's, I, I'm still very skeptical. I mean, I've heard the 100,000 numbers, but right. I, I think they're doing some kind of um, micro transactions, which are packaged into different types of transactions. I'm not exactly sure what the use case of this. No, not an expert about the yeah. the EOS uh, solution. But but I think that if you drill down, you see that they will also uh, get uh, around 1,000 transactions per second, as long as you define transactions the way I defined it. Okay. Uh, I, I mean, maybe maybe it contains 100 different operations, but then you need uh, 100 operations between two specific uh, entities. All right. I, I, yeah, because the... Yeah, theoretically, Steam now I've heard processes already 100,000 transactions per second, and Steam is you know the the currency for Steemit, which is that decentralized social network. So every single comment and like and and post is actually a transaction on the blockchain, and supposedly they do 100,000 now. So I'm not sure how they're doing it. Maybe it's some kind but, of they're packaging but, it like that, or but but it's not it's not really a blockchain because they don't really store 100 transactions per second per in the blockchain because you can easily calculate that this will explode into uh, terabytes of data per day or or something like this so so they they have some kind of i assume they have some kind of layer of uh, centralization that stores all the information the heavy information and in a thin layer of uh, block of real blockchain of what we call real blockchain. Um, interesting. Yeah. No, that's it's interesting. I'll have to do more research and uh, kind of see how how they're actually achieving that. Because um, everywhere I've looked, that that's what I've seen. That it is a hundred thousand. It it is maybe yeah. just the difference between delegated proof of stake and proof of stake. But um, yeah, yes. It's, it's but very, very I, I I I urge urge you guys to not not to take these uh, <laughs> things on the face of it and and do your research. Um, because I'm really suspicious about these one hundred thousand transactions per second uh, figure. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's supposedly that, uh, you know, and not to go go on too much of a tangent here, because I do want to talk more about uh, Ardor and Ignis and, and some of the other yep. exciting stuff you guys have coming up. But um, it, it, it will definitely be interesting to see, you know, how they're doing it, because I know it's a, a technology called graphene, I believe, that, that enables this. So um, we'll both have to, to do more research in that area for sure. Um, but talking about you know, Gelarita specifically, you guys actually ran an ICO under the name of Gelarita recently. Is that correct? Ignis, we call it Ignis. Ignis yeah, okay. uh, will be the first child chain token uh, of uh, of the Ardor platform. You know, they're the, the going to be uh, when we launch. They're going to be two main tokens: the the Ardor token, which is a parent chain token responsible for the security of the network, and the Ignis token, which is the NXT equivalent running as a child chain. Okay, interesting. So does Ignis basically bring all the features of NXT to Ardor? Exactly, yes. Ignis uh, supports okay. all the features of NXT plus a uh, few, few, few more we added recently. Um, okay, and what are some of those new features? Right, so, so um, w what we want to do with, uh, with Ignis, we want to make it a platform for, uh, for business applications. So 
and you know, we, we in the last year and a half since we um, since we established Jelorida, we spoke with lots of businesses and uh, run demos and um, prototypes, workshops, and so on. And we learned a lot about real businesses will need in order to work with this technology. And based on this, we came up with a feature which we call smart transactions. Smart transactions are uh, some are something in between the just uh, monolithic send money from uh, one address to another to the um, Turing complete uh, smart contracts that let you do whatever you like, but you sacrifice security in the in the process. Instead, right. what smart transactions provide you is ability to uh, to execute transactions based on conditions where these conditions uh, initially in NXT were, def uh, were defined by specific voting model, where voting model can be a si simply uh, one account votes for transactions of another account or two out of three, like multi-signature. But it can it you can take it much further, like, um, like you, you can uh, vote about transactions per balance or depend one transaction in the existence of another transaction or reveal secret or issue a specific token to uh, to vote specifically on transactions like kind of a voting token all this already exists in NXT what we allow you to do in uh, Ardor is to actually mix and match these voting models using boolean uh, operators like uh, uh, and or and not right so you so you can build boolean logic uh, uh, for your smart transaction in order to define the conditions under which transactions will get executed wow that's interesting so yeah, what's I, a what's a potential <laughs> use case for that like if i say this transaction needs to, you know, be sent on this day and needs to, you know, include this amount of, of NXT in it. Are those some criteria that I could input? For I'll, that? I'll, I'll give you I'll give you a simple example, which I sure. think it's very, it's very difficult to implement on on the other blockchains right now. Let's say that you want to do a dead man switch. What it means that if you are um, the purpose of it is that if you are uh, dead, if you are not available anymore, your funds will move automatically to another account after uh, some time period. Um, so the idea is that you define a, for your account, you put it under what we call, um, sorry, you, you issue a transaction from your transaction to your ancestor uh, account, from your account to your ancestor account. Um, and um, this transaction is going to execute in a year from now unless you vote against it. So you have a not condition, all right? Interesting. So as long as you remember a few days before the deadline to vote for this transaction, um, so, you have to remember a few days before the deadline to vote for this transaction, and this way it will never get executed. However, if you are dead, then nobody will vote, will vote, and this transaction will move to your children, okay, or your right. spouse, or or whatever. So yeah. that's, that's, it's a co common in the industry. It's called dead man switch, but we now allow you to do this on the blockchain without any uh, oracle or escrow or whatever. Okay. Very cool. 
Yeah, that's something um, that I think, you know, is definitely needed in this space, especially when it comes to, you know, passing on all of your coins to, to your ancestors when you do die, especially, you know, since <laughs> most of our ancestors probably don't understand this stuff. Um, <laughs> but I think it's also interesting because I don't know if you heard, um, but in the election last year in the in the, the U.S., um, you know, there was that big thing with WikiLeaks and Julian Assange. And, and yes. he talked a lot about having a dead man switch where if he suddenly turned up dead, a bunch of information would be released. Uh, so okay. is this something that could be used for information as well? Or is it right now? just transactions and funds for information um no because the information when you submit a transaction it's already available on the blockchain um you, you so on the face of it i would say no because you'll publish information on the blockchain regardless if the transaction is executed or not because it will be on oh, the blockchain. okay but but maybe um something you can do um you somehow need to reveal this secret independently. So, so I would say no. So, so I would say that for information, I can't think of the from the top of my head how to how to use this uh, yeah. mechanism. Uh, it can still be used, for example, for the uh, uh, signatures, a round of signatures. Like you submit a document, everybody can see the document, but people need to sign it. So. Um, so using this smart transaction, you can actually sign your approval for specific information that is submitted to the to the blockchain. In uh, you know, di every transaction is digitally signed, time time timestamp, and non uh, and nobody can uh, say they didn't sign it. Uh, uh, okay, very so. cool. Yeah, that's a great but, use case, and, right. and maybe somebody will come up with some way to uh, to actually do that Julian Assange Assange style uh, dead man switch, and they'll build a, maybe a DAP on on top of uh, Ardor or something. Yes, I, I would say that for this, you need to keep the information initially off the blockchain because whatever right. is on the blockchain will be um, will be available regardless if you approve it or not. Exactly. Um, but but why did we uh, a huge um, use case for this is think about uh, you want to do uh, permissioned ICO. ICO where all the accounts are uh, has KYC AML. Um, so, so right now with NXT and most ICOs I know on the blockchain, anybody can buy the tokens. Okay, and anybody can trade the tokens, transfer the tokens, and so on. But, but let's say you want to do a permissioned ICO that only um, accounts that. Um, um, you know, that identified against some central uh, entity will be able to trade these tokens. So so the idea is that in NXT, we have a unique entity that is called account property. Account property is kind of a key value that you can attach to an account. Okay? So now you can set up um, a voting model that, it's, that is per property. So only entities that has, sorry, only addresses that has specific property registered on them can do something. Okay, very cool. Okay. So you could essentially restrict who can participate in your ICO. Right. Or, or I restrict. Then on top of that, I have a mechanism that is called asset control. Asset is kind of token so so you so you can define asset control based on 
a property voting model and defined that only the addresses that have property set by the asset issuer can participate in my ICO, and, and not only that, only they will be able to trade and transfer the token. So I'm creating a, a closure of accounts out of all the public uh, accounts, only a subset of the accounts that has this property will be able to trade my asset. Uh, okay, very cool. Yeah, that makes a lot of okay. sense. And so, um, so, so this is a way to restrict uh, the uh, the trading of a token to only verified uh, entities. Right, and I could see some other use cases for that as well, other than an ICO. If, if for example, I issued like if ICO alert stock ownership in ICO alert was was on the blockchain, and we only wanted our um, you know, our team members to, to be able to, to own that stock, it, it would be, you know, that would be the way to do it. It can only trade between members who already own it and, um, right. you know, it's restricted from outside so, parties. So, so share, share, cool. share, shareholder agreements and uh, yeah. shareholding in startups are uh, ideal uh, use case for this. Um, and and we we will probably implement additional um, uh, additional features in this direction in the future um, to to actually mimic so some of the ideas we have is is to implement features that mimic the operation of of startup companies of um, all kind of um, um, type of arrangements that. Uh, you have shares, but the voting power of the shares is assigned to another account, or or or, or things along these lines right. always appear in in real world applications. So I'm not sure we'll have this on the public blockchain, but um, but, but but perhaps private blockchain solutions can can build on top of what we have on the public blockchain in this uh, direction. Um, Definitely. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, in addition to these use cases, obviously, you know, as being, you know, one of the developers for Art or even, you know, the lead developer and, and having co-founded Jellarita, um, what are some, you know, potential applications? Maybe nobody's building these right now, but their ideas and, and their possibilities for what people could build on Ardor. Um, what are some, you know, ideas you have of, oh, this is possible, but I haven't seen it, it, it be built yet. Um, what are some, some ideas you have for applications right. like that? So, so I, th I think... Two, two areas which really call, screams for a blockchain usage is uh, one is uh, voting in general. Um, I mean, I mean, think think about how we how we are voting these days. It's uh, really yeah. embarrassing that we go to school and queue in line and, and and all this, and you know, after the the poll is over. We do manual counting and then argue about yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> and recount it and recount and it recount again. And, yeah. and, it's all, uh, and it's all because of trust issues. Because once you try to give some central entity the, the power to count the votes, you, you are moving from a system where you can have some localized fakes and things like that to a system where you can have systematic... Uh, pro problems with your voting that a, si a single sysadmin or developer can change your uh, the outcome of the poll with a single SQL statement. Right. Uh, so blockchain solves this because it builds of on multiple um, on multiple uh, workstations that where nobody trusts each other. 
and everybody validate whatever the other guys do, uh, which is much less in the delegated proof of stake, but in proof of stake and proof of work, it's actually, um, it's actually, it's really working. I mean, uh, because everybody repeats all the validations made by everybody else. And now, in, at the end of the poll, I don't know, at 10 p.m. on the day of the voting, instead of uh, looking at the, you know, at the news of the, how do you call it, the, the, uh, where they ask people what they voted and do statistics. Um, right. In, instead of that, you'll, just, you'll get the real counting results a minute after the polls are closed, and nobody can actually argue about this. Yeah, so. yeah, that's something that I think you know, every country globally could probably benefit from. So definitely a, a real use case there. What was the, the second one that you wanted to talk about? Right. But but in order to get voting, you first need to to, to get identity management. Oh, okay. okay because, because you need to identify the voter. Um, and identity today is a huge problem because if, uh, I mean, at least in, in Israel where I live, it's, it's ridiculous. I mean, all the information... Uh, that you get from the government, from banks, from insurance companies, from anybody, from the cable, from the cable guy is already in a computer. But you yeah. still get a PDF. Then you have to print it, sign it with your pen, <laughs> scan it, and send it as an image. It's completely ridiculous to prove yeah. your identity this way. But but why why is it so problematic to implement identity system? Because when you try to implement identity system, you give huge power to whoever manages this identity system. Right. So again, once you distribute this power into a decentralized the network, you take away this uh, governance problem. That that now uh, you know, you when you give your um, you, so I imagine a blockchain where the, your identity is uh, vetted one time and stored there encrypted, and every entity like the cable company, insurance company, maybe even the government. Will will be able to access it in a in a secure way just to validate your identity. So we no longer need all this primitive uh, signing uh, protocol. Absolutely, yeah. That that uh, you know is another thing that I think is a huge problem in, here in the U.S. as well, especially when it comes to what are called social security numbers. So these social security numbers were originally just intended to you know pay taxes. You give you know the government your number, and then they tell you how much tax you owe, and you pay them. And now, I guess, and, and this has been going on for decades and decades, way before my time, um, but now social security numbers are really used for identity. So if you possess that, you know, nine-digit number, ten-digit mm -hmm. number, whatever it is, you essentially are that person, you which can is just so crazy. Yeah, yeah it, it, it's incredible that that's all it takes. A social security number, for example, you can take to the DMV and get a new driver's license. You can, you can do so much with it. Um, that's really quite terrifying, especially since we're entering in these numbers on, you know, tons of websites, like for the cable company so they can verify your credit and, you know, make sure you can pay. Um, so that's great. Right. And this is, again, one use, one um, uh, one property of blockchains, which is amazing, is that in, in many transactions today on the internet, you actually reveal your private key, whether it is your social security number or your uh, credit card number and so on. You give it and anyone that intercepts it can actually use it on your behalf. 
but in, yeah. uh, in blockchain it, because of uh, the way public cryptography uh, works you always sign the transactions with your private key but you only reveal to the world your address which is based on your public key so so your address reveal can reveal who you are if you are not careful but it cannot be used to sign transactions on your behalf okay and and this is a huge, huge advantage of every blockchain application over uh, existing traditional applications absolutely yeah it's 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 all very interesting information it'll be it'll be very cool to see you know how a lot of these apps develop over the coming years because obviously identity is something that's going to take I think a lot a long time to really catch on and become a standard or, or even be legislated in a government as a standard but once it does I think um, the potential applications that will then be built on top of that are going to be be pretty revolutionary um, but before we end I did want to talk about um, you know Ignis and Ardor specifically and when they're launching so first I wanted to start with a, a question from the community um, and this is kind of what they wrote they said the ICO for Ignis and Ardor was relatively controversial at first and here's why they kind of gave an explanation and I did some research on this as well mm. um, so apparently the first few rounds were set up so that you know none of the NXT team could actually participate in converting their NXT um, to Ignis and future rounds after those first few rounds that were restricted weren't. So the community at first apparently was very happy with this. Um, but then when the first few rounds sold out very, very quickly, I think the first one sold out to one person and then hmm. subsequent rounds sold out to just a few people, um, they weren't as happy. Um, can you tell me you know, what happened there? What were some of the, the problems you guys ran into and, and how were you able to solve some of that for the community? Sure, it's it's actually very interesting and very relevant for every ICO because uh, you know when you think in, on ICO and, and and I admit that I already had I also had this perception. You think about uh, a, a shop, okay? People come and buy, and and then another one comes and buy and so on. But if your ICO is popular and you have several price level, everybody will try to get the first price level. And since you cannot control, <laughs> if you have restricted number of tokens per price level, um, you you cannot control. Um, I, I mean, the the first guys to get the tokens will will get the will win the the price level. All right. So so ICO is kind of a run run on the ICO, a successful ICO. It's not uh, it's not gonna last for a month. It's gonna last for one block. All right. All or, right. Okay. And, and if your ICO is not successful, is not oversubscribed on the first uh, price level, then you're in the trouble. So so right. we that's a good point. Okay, so so we kind of anticipated because we knew that there are NXT whales that have a lot of NXT. We we performed our uh, ICO using our own blockchain technology using the NXT blockchain, um, and we did take a few measures against it. But uh, there was one uh, one person that actually studied the way we conducted the ICO, and they were able. Uh, he was able to get and match our sell offer before it was even included in a block. Okay. Wow. Uh, he followed. He had to follow the, a certain protocol, but he figured it out, and he was able to get the first uh, the first batch, which 
only represented one percent of all the of the Ignis tokens we 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 sold, which was which is still half of the total Ignis tokens. But 0.5 percent of the same of the tokens went to this whale, and and then another round it happens again, and and then you know you realize on one hand you get the NXT that you want to raise, on the other hand you see that there are hundreds, maybe thousands of frustrated buyers that are unable to buy, and they come right. and blame you and so on. So, well, and that so, was the, the main concern, I think, with this question. And, and right. some people yeah. had some other concerns about, you know, did this affect the token, you know, the, a wide token distribution? Or, you know, is most of the NXT or most of the uh, the Ignis, rather, secured by a few people? Or do you still think you achieved that wide distribution? Wait, that you're so, to so, so let me just finish the story. So yeah, face, face with this problem, we had the, to do our homework still follow the ICO schedule. Uh, so we quickly developed a solution that actually allowed anyone to follow this same protocol. So the idea was, is what we call it scheduled transactions. The idea is that you can schedule your buy transactions before we actually publish the sell transaction, okay? But these transactions were not submitted to the blockchain. They just uh, they were just left in the memory of the nodes. So the nodes constantly monitored the blockchain, and as soon as they saw our sell transaction, before it was in, in a block or anything, they immediately broadcast all the buy transactions. So there was so so this created the crazy race over <laughs> over buying the tokens. Wow, that's crazy. Okay. So you guys you essentially took what the the whale had found and, and gave it to everybody? Exactly. So so we kind of leveled the the playing field. So so not everybody could get the tokens, but at least it was a random distribution. So so not a single guy will get the token. Um you know and and then started a, a, a fascinating, um, you know, um, how do you call it, brain battle? <laughs> no, <laughs> like how to uh, how to try to hack this system, <laughs> okay? Right, <laughs> yeah. And I must say that, uh, that I really, uh, to the day, I'm pretty much convinced that what happened after the first two rounds was pretty much random. I mean, of course, people that weren't able to buy screamed that it's still biased. <laughs> right. <laughs> but, but you know, when you have over-demand, the way it was designed is that we do not uh, split everything proportionally. But there is a certain number of tokens that you have to grab at each level. Um, so, so I think I, I think we found an adequate uh, solution for this, and not only you found it for our ICO. Any ICOs that will use the NXT platform in the future can actually use this uh, feature, and and I don't think anyone else has uh, such unique feature because you hear again and again and again about ICOs where whales uh, bought the whole thing in the first block. Yeah. And, Nobody else was able to participate. On on Ethereum, there is nothing that is even close to to this type of solution. Yeah, so. that's very true. So, do you think that that giving out that tool that the whale found to everybody, do you think that kind of saved the distribution and and still allowed you to distribute the tokens to a wide variety of people? I I, I think that at the end we distributed the tokens to uh, thousands, if not dozens, of thousands of uh, of awesome. accounts. And um, 
but 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 to be frank oh, the first price level were really i i think there were only maybe 100 accounts or few hundreds that were able to participate um because of this huge over uh, over demand we, we we should have sold it for higher price in res- in retrospect but right uh, uh, but another thing to mention is that even if you weren't able to participate in the ICO itself, you can still receive um, half Ignis for every NXT you hold by December 28th. So, Very cool. So you guys are doing uh, an airdrop to NXT we, holders? We are doing air, airdrop to NXT holders of half Ignis per NXT. Awesome. Uh, so if that's coming in in December, uh, my final question is just when when is this launch? When does Ardor launch? When does Ignis launch? When can people yes. uh, actually start using this? So, so, so what is so what is going to happen is that on December 28th, we are going to take a snapshot of the NXT blockchain, and which will represent uh, which will represent the balances of Ardor, Ignis, and few other child chains that that we are going to have at launch. Um, this, at this point, you know, uh, Ignis is currently cannot be traded. It's using a type of token on the NXT blockchain, which is only a registry of balances. It cannot be traded. But Ardor is already traded on the NXT blockchain. Ah, very cool. So after we take the snapshot, you we will automatically block the trading of Ardor, okay? It's kind of a hard fork. It's kind of a dependent hard fork that uh, when you reach a certain block, you're no longer allowed to trade the assets that currently represent Ardor. Then we have a couple of days for people to check their balances, see that everything was transitioned properly, and then by January 1st, we are going to release Ardo to production, where based on the balances that were snapshotted on December 28th. Very cool. So January 1st, and is that also the launch for Ignis, or is it just yes, Ardor? Of course. Of course. Ignis, oh, okay, is, Ignis is the first child chain of Ardo, so of course. Um, okay. One question that people keep asking me is what happens if they keep their tokens on exchanges? And and the, uh, the answer is that we are working with exchanges and educating them about the process. Because what's going to happen right now, the airdrop will go to the exchanges, not necessarily to the user accounts on the exchanges. Right. So we are working with exchanges to educate them about the process and so that they they are able to implement it but but you know it's a, it's an uphill battle you know everybody every exchange has its own agenda yeah so so yeah, we saw that especially with the all the bitcoin forks you know some people supporting them some people not and, and exactly. the ones that didn't it was like well are you just going to keep the, the fork tokens you're getting or what's happening there so there, there's always been controversy there for sure. exactly so, so i'm quite certain that few months after the launch the exchanges will have enough time to sort things out and split and and send the balances but and if you want to be sure that you have the tokens in your wallet at the day of the launch, then the best way is just to withdraw the funds to your own uh, NXT wallet. And the Ardor wallet is going to be uh, based on the same passphrase. You know, with NXT, there is no wallet. A 
count is identified by a passphrase, which is a long 128-bit uh, password. Okay, so, so the same password will be used, uh, that is currently used for NXT account, will be used for the Ardor account. Oh, okay, very cool. So, so it makes so, it easy for people to switch over. Right, so, so the switch over will be very simple. You can even use, I mean, if you don't want to set up your own node, I, I can understand that, all right? You can use the Jelurida. Uh, Jelurida has set up a very secure uh, public node that you can use uh, to create your account because, again, there is no wallet. There is just a passphrase, and it is never submitted to the remote node anyway. So, so, um, so as long as you know that the node that to which you connect is not compromised, you can safely create your account there. Awesome. That's great. So December 28th and January 1st are definitely the, the dates to remember. Um, Lior, I think that's about it. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. But but before we go, where can people learn more about this? Do you, do you have a website where people can find more info? Uh, sure. So, of course, um, you the best way is just head to jellorida.com. Uh, that's where we uh, provide all the official information. I mean, the NXT community has... a two more wonderful uh, websites, uh, nxtplatform.org and, and, and ardoplatform.org, where there is a lot of information available. Uh, but, but the, you know, the only official data is published on the on jellorida.com website. Uh, we, all, we also have uh, the NXT Wiki, which has uh, a getting started guide and, and lots of uh, information in the form of uh, frequently asked questions that I keep directing people to. Um, join our Slack channel. Uh, I, I think that we have uh, many... Many people from the community are sitting there almost all the time answering questions, helping users, and so on. Awesome. That's great. Well, uh, and that's Jellerida, J-E-L-U-R-I-D-A.com, correct? Correct. Perfect. Just want to make sure since uh, <laughs> it, it may be a little hard to spell when you're just hearing yes. the name. But that's great. Lior, I want to you know, sincerely thank you for your time. This has been sure. a, a pretty fascinating discussion. I, I've learned a lot, and I hope some of our listeners have as well. So thank you so much for your time, and, and best of luck with the launch coming up in January. Oh, th thanks, Robert. Thanks for uh, interviewing me. All right. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. I sincerely appreciate it. If you'd like to request someone to be on the podcast in the future, tweet us at ICO Alert and let us know. Most of our guests are requests from listeners just like you, so we review every single recommendation that comes through in our Twitter feed. Uh, we'll look at everything. So if there's a lesser-known project that you think we should cover, you know, let us know. Maybe we'll have them on the podcast. If you haven't already, please do subscribe and be the first to hear our new episodes. And also, don't forget to check out ICOalert.com to see the only comprehensive list of active and upcoming ICOs. I'm your host, Robert Finch, and I'll be back next week with a brand new episode.